Hey, we are concluding our series, Supernatural, Rediscovering Our Spiritual World. Uh, There is more going on in life than just what we can see. There are spiritual forces at work in our world, and these spiritual realities, they impact our lives. And there are things that we cannot see, hear, and touch that affect us. And yet we often overlook these things. And so in this series, we've been raising our awareness of the spiritual realm. Uh, And we've received all sorts of feedback on this series. And if you happen to miss a week, uh, you can go to tfrc.org and watch or listen to a message that you've missed. Uh, But just a quick summary of the series, of um, our series Supernatural. Uh, We began in Ephesians 6. And the one verse that we've been highlighting, it was just on the screen, we're going to put it on the screen again, uh, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Uh, Pastor John, one week, he talked about the devil and how the devil tempts and opposes and incites and lies, and we see the impact of this every day, Uh, but God is ultimately in control. Uh, The devil cannot stop God's plan. Um, One week, I talked about miracles and how um, they're hard to spot. They happen often. God is very active in our lives. He is at work, and sometimes God's work looks like coincidence. And other times things happen that we just simply can't explain. But we always need faith to see the miraculous. And then last week, Pastor John talked about angels and how their primary role is one of messengers. Uh, And when they show up in whatever way they do that, they show up to share the good news and to encourage us in our faith in Jesus. And in all of this, we want to remember that the spiritual forces that work in our world, that God is behind the scenes working out all things for our good. This morning, we're going to hear what the Bible has to say about heaven and hell. Um, If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Luke chapter 16. Um, We're going to be reading passage from verse 19 to 31. A poll done a few years ago showed that 58% of Americans believe in hell and 72% of Americans believe in heaven. And so while hell, heaven and hell are ancient concepts, they still dominate America's understanding of the afterlife. Uh, Several times, Jesus talks about heaven and or hell, and so we're just going to look at one story, one parable Jesus tells when describing it. Our scripture reader this morning is Kurt Stanley. Kurt, go ahead and make your way on up to the podium. As he does, I'm going to ask if you're able to please stand and face the center of the room. Uh, We read from the center of the room to remind us that scripture is to be central in our lives, and we stand because we believe that this is the word of God. And so, John, or Kurt, whenever you are ready, please read from Luke chapter 16. There there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool my tongue, because I am agony in this fire. But Abraham 
replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will re repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Kurt, thank you very much. You may be seated. Again, ideas of heaven and hell, they are really prominent in our culture. And we, you know, Jesus shares a parable. We like to tell stories about heaven and hell also. Uh, for example, a fellow dies and he finds himself after he dies in front of the pearly gates. And St. Peter explains to him that it's not so easy to get into heaven. There are some criteria before entry is allowed. And so Peter starts asking this man questions. Uh, were you religious at all? Did you ever go to church? And the man says, no. And Peter's like, well, that's, that's not good. That doesn't help. And so then Peter says, well, were you generous? Did you give money to the poor? Did you donate money to charity? And the man's like, well, no, I really didn't do that either. And Peter's like, that's, that's bad also. That's not good. And so then he says, well, did you do any good deeds? Did you help your neighbor? Did you do anything like that? And the man's like, no, I really didn't do any of that. And so now Peter's pretty much exasperated. And he says, look, everybody does something nice sometime. Work with me here. I'm trying to help you. Now think. And so the man says, well, there was this old lady and I came out of a store and I found her surrounded by a dozen Hell's Angels bikers. And they had taken her purse and they were shoving her around, taunting and abusing her. And I got so mad that I threw my bags down, fought through the crowd and got her purse back. And then I helped her to her feet. And then I went up to the biggest, baddest biker and I told him how despicable and cowardly and mean he was and I spat in his face. Wow, Peter says, that's impressive. When did that happen? Oh, about 10 minutes ago. <laughs> we all have our stories of heaven and hell. We have these preconceived notions of how this is all going to work. You know, heaven, it's a place in the sky where we hang out with God and angels. You know, maybe sort of like this picture uh, on the screen. You know, you got the gate and you got the stairs and you got the clouds. Uh, there's even a sign there that says heaven, just in case you're wondering. Um, and then the concept of hell. Hell is usually this fiery place uh, where the devil rules. And I'm not entirely sure of what your image of the fire and devil looks like, but maybe it's kind of scary, like that picture there. Or last week, Pastor John mentioned Looney Tunes, and so we have a Looney Tune version of it too. So whatever uh, helps you with that, that's usually, those are the kinds of images we have for heaven and hell. 
And the Bible, while it talks about these things, it doesn't always give like specific details of how exactly is this going to work? Is there a quiz? How does this work? Um, there aren't even, you know, step-by-step instructions of what you do after you die. It doesn't give you a map with like, you are here and here's how you get to your mansion. Um, while the Bible doesn't give those kinds of details, it does give us images, some pretty strong imagery. Um, some biblical imagery of heaven. You can find a lot of this in Revelation chapter, uh, chapter 21 and chapter 22, uh, where it talks about a new heaven and a new earth, where heaven isn't so much a place in the sky, it's really more of restored creation, where heaven is more like a new earth. And there is no death or mourning or crying or pain And there's this city that comes down and the city is made of precious stones and there's pearl gates and it's uh, referred to as the new Jerusalem. And whether you interpret those precious stones and pearly gates literally or metaphorically, uh, the image is heaven is this place of great value. And earthly terms really can't capture how great that value is. And it goes on to say that the glory of God is the source of light, where the presence of God is going to radiate everywhere, and God's presence is going to be like the light of the sun. And then the tree of life is in the middle of the city, a picture of life and vibrancy. And then Jesus will use images Uh, comparing heaven to like a banquet with feasting and celebration. You can see this in Matthew 22 or Luke 14, where it's going to be a place of joy and celebration. It's going to be a place where you want to be. And the imagery of heaven suggests that everything that is good will be there. And there will be this sense of fulfillment. And everything that is evil won't be there. And likewise, the Bible also gives quite a bit of imagery of hell. And the biblical imagery of hell, first of all, the word that's used in the New Testament for hell is a Greek word called Gehenna. And Gehenna is a reference to this valley, a valley called Hinnom. This valley of Hinnom is not far from the city of Jerusalem. And while there is debate on exactly which valley by Jerusalem is this valley of Hinnom, um, it was a place that was well known. It was known for two things. One, it was basically a garbage dump. It was a place where you took your garbage and, you know, the dead bodies of animals and corpses and that kind of stuff, and you burned them there in that valley. It was a garbage dump, and you burned the garbage there, and you can imagine, you could probably imagine, what the smells associated with this place would be. It's also a place, this Valley of Hinnom, is associated with something that happened during Jeremiah's time. During Jeremiah's time, children were burned in this valley as sacrifice to a god named Molech. The kings of Judah were worshiping multiple gods in the time of Jeremiah, and one of them was a god named Molech. And he, his worship required child sacrifice. And so they would literally burn their newborn babies in sacrifice to Molech in the valley of Hinnom, which was, of course, disgusting. But in either case, in both cases, fire is this prominent image of Gehenna, which makes sense for that to be chosen as a hell reference, to use that as a reference to hell, Gehenna. Because fire is an image of 
probably the most prominent image used for hell in the Bible. In Revelation 20, it's described as a lake of fire. And just a quick little point, fire is something that consumes. Fire consumes. It burns up anything that it gets a hold of. That's kind of an important point to remember. Fire is consuming. And Jesus says that this eternal fire was prepared for the devil and his angels. You can read that in Matthew 25, 41. It's interesting that Jesus doesn't say, he, says it, he doesn't say it was meant for humans. He says it was prepared for the devil and his angels. Its original intent, Jesus says, was not necessarily for humanity. Another image of hell used in the Bible is darkness. Darkness, it's a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You can read about that in Matthew 25. And this is where the imagery gets a little confusing because you have fire and you have darkness and those two things usually don't go along because if you have fire, you don't have darkness. But darkness gives you a sense of banishment. Revelation 21 calls this lake of fire the second death. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, there's this sense of exclusion. The idea of exclusion makes sense because it goes along with this idea of darkness. If you're thrown out in the dark, you're being excluded from something. And then Jesus will also use the imagery of debt, uh, debt that cannot be repaid. The debt of hell cannot be redeemed. And so the imagery that the Bible gives of hell is hell is this place where you are consumed you're excluded, and there really is no redemption there. There is a sense of hopelessness. Which brings us to the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And what is Jesus telling us about the afterlife in this story? Well, first of all, Jesus is saying in the afterlife, there is this permanent condition that happens. If you look back, if you still have your Bibles to um, Luke 16, and you look in verse 23, where it says, uh, the rich man in Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And then if you skip down to verse 26, um, Abraham says, between us and you is this great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. There is no switching sides. <laughs> In Haiti, Hades in this represents hell. Abraham's side represents heaven. And the great chasm cannot be crossed. Those on one side can't get to the other side. So whatever condition you end up in the afterlife, it's a permanent condition. You can even see this in the rich man in the story. Because before the rich man died, he shows no concern whatsoever for Lazarus. Lazarus is at his gate. He sees him every day, and he does nothing in his life to help Lazarus. And then he dies. And after the rich man dies, does anything change? Does the rich man repent and say how sorry he was for how he ignored Lazarus, his plight and his pain for all those years? No. It's nowhere in the story. In fact, the rich man wants Lazarus to be his errand boy. Tell Lazarus to cool my tongue. Tell Lazarus to tell my family. He still doesn't care. 
Jesus said repeatedly, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. And repent simply means turn around. It means to change. Look, if selfishness, if that's what defines us while we live now, if that defines us in this life, selfishness is going to define us in the next one. Unless we repent, believe, and follow Jesus before it's too late. Because according to this story, there is a time when it is too late. A point of no return. Right now, maybe we want to change, maybe we don't. It's really a matter of what we feel like. In hell, that will not be an option. You won't be able to change. In heaven, we will be transformed. The afterlife is a permanent condition. Also from the story, in the afterlife, there is this eternal justice that plays out. Where um, you read in verses 19 to 21 how Lazarus was a rich man, dressed in purple and fine linen and all that stuff. And Lazarus is covered in sores, longing just to eat the leftovers of the, of the rich man's table. And Abraham says to him in verse 25 to the rich man, Remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. See, the rich man's problem wasn't that he was rich. It was that he didn't use his wealth to help anybody. Even the beggar at his gate who longed to eat his leftovers, the rich man saw Lazarus every day and did nothing. Now look, indifference to suffering that we don't see, okay, that's one thing, but indifference to suffering right in front of us, that's a problem. And so now the tables have been turned. You see, the values of this life are not going to be the, are not the same as the values of the next life. Selfishness, being selfish, can get us ahead in this life. Being selfish is not going to help us in the next one. There's a lot of evil that happens in the world, and we wonder, where is God? What are you doing, God? Let's not forget, God is not mocked. We reap what we sow, and all of us have contributed to evil in one way or another. And in the afterlife, injustice will be met with judgment or forgiveness. And what we experience is dependent upon our repentance, belief, and following of Jesus. There is eternal justice. In the afterlife, there is comfort and there is agony. Again, in verses 22 to 24, the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side and the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So for us, heaven represents peace and pleasure. Hell represents pain and agony. And Jesus affirms that both of these things exist in the afterlife. We will reap what we sow. And if we give ourselves to our sinful natures and do the things that we know ought not to be done, pain and agony, they're coming, both in this life and in the one to come. But if we give ourselves to Jesus and live the way that Jesus lived, peace and pleasure are on the way, both in this life and in the world to come. And also in this story is a warning 
a warning of now is the time to change. Verses 27 to 31, the rich man says, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers, and let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And Abraham said to the rich man, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. And basically what the rich man is told is you had the scriptures and you didn't do what was right. Lazarus was before you every day and you didn't help him. This was not complicated. And if your family is the same way, a man rising from the dead isn't going to convince them either. We've been Christians. We've been saying for 2,000 years, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Some believe, some don't. And Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now is the time. Now is the time to change. And if we choose not to repent and not to place our faith in Jesus, well, that's on us. Now, if you haven't ever placed your faith in Jesus, now is the time. Now is the time to simply say, Jesus, I repent. I believe in you. I choose to follow you. Just show me the next step. It really is that simple. You don't have to fix everything about yourself right now. You just have to take a step of faith. It's not possible to fix everything right now. Jesus is just asking you to repent, believe, take the first step. And if you want to talk more about what that means, come up to me after the service. I'll be right here. Today is the day to repent. Today is the day to change. You know, when I think about the here and now and the afterlife, I really see three different conditions of humanity and how they relate to heaven and hell and the here and now and how they impact us. The first condition of humanity is the condition that we are in right now. It impacts all of us. And that is we are fallen. We are fallen humanity. Genesis 3 talks about how we rejected God and how we wanted to determine right and wrong for ourselves. And Genesis Genesis 3 describes the fall of humanity. Well, if humanity fell, well, that means we are no longer what we were intended to be, meaning we are not human in the biblical sense. We are fallen humanity in the biblical sense. We are sinful by nature. Humans were never meant to be sinful by nature. We are less than what God intended for us to be. And the good news is, Jesus came to redeem us, to pay the debt. Remember the debt imagery from hell that Jesus referred to. Jesus came to pay that debt and transform us into what we were intended to be. And each of us gets to decide whether to believe and follow Jesus or not. And until that decision is made or until we die, we're kind of in the state of flux. We're fallen humanity. And hell, well, hell is a place where 
it's really filled with human remains, human remains that have been consumed by sinful desires. Again, remember the imagery of fire when it comes to hell. And when a fire burns something, it consumes it. It destroys whatever it is burning. Likewise, our sinful nature can consume us and destroy us. You know, if you just look at this list of the acts of the sinful nature from Galatians chapter 5, well, all of these things that are on this list can consume us. And if they consume us, they can destroy us. You know, if we give ourselves over completely to any of these things, I don't think it's that hard to imagine to see how they can destroy us. You know, you give yourself completely to sexual immorality, it will destroy you. Or give yourself completely to debauchery, it will destroy you. Or give yourself completely to hatred or jealousy or fits of rage or selfish ambition, it will destroy you. And we may think, well, <laughs> I'm just giving some of myself over to it. I'm not giving all of myself over, just some of it. Well, look, our sinful nature, it's like a fire. You can actually hear that in some of our language. When we say things like, we burn with anger or we burn with lust, our sinful nature, it's like a fire. And the more fuel we give to our sinful nature, the bigger it grows and the more it consumes. The Christian author C.S. Lewis said, hell is an everlasting movement away from God. And that's what our sinful nature does. It moves us further and further and further away from God. All of us have experienced how our sinful nature moves us further away from God. We all know what that's like. And hell is a place where the movement away is too far. I just want to touch on this whole idea of human remains because I just find it fascinating. Jesus, again, he said that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. He never said it was intended for humanity. And when you burn something, think about it, you really don't completely destroy it. Even if you burn a log in the fire, there's still some of the remains of whatever it is you've just burned, even if it's just simply ashes. And I think that's a great picture of what happens to our souls in hell, where we completely lose any remnant of our humanity. We're not fallen humanity in hell. We are human remains. Look at this picture. I've shown pictures like this before. Uh, this is a woman before and after drug addiction, and I'm not trying to be uh, judgmental on drug addicts. If you're a recovering addict or in the middle of addiction, I don't judge you at all. Uh, this picture is just a great illustration of what sin can do to us. Um, the, her addiction has taken her life out of her. Look at the picture. She's being consumed. She's a shell of what she used to be. That is what sin does to our souls. It makes us a shell of what we used to be. And we can see this happening. You can see it happening. The toll that anger can take or that jealousy can take or that debauchery can take or that sexual immorality can take. It takes it turns us into shells of ourselves. 
And it's not too late, but we can see what happens. And in hell, that fire, that consumption will never, ever stop. It is a place filled with those consumed by their sinful nature in whatever form it takes. And like the garbage dump of Gehenna, it's a place littered with human remains. Heaven is redeemed humanity. Jesus shows us what it looks like to be human. You see, we believe, we emphasize the divinity of Jesus, and that is a fundamental tenet of the faith, the divinity of Jesus. That's a big deal for us. But sometimes when we emphasize that so much, we forget about the humanity of Jesus, that we believe that Jesus was fully human. And sometimes when we talk about that, well, people will ask a question that's the wrong question to ask. They'll say, well, was Jesus really human um, uh, as we are? Was Jesus as human as we are? And that's the wrong question. Because you have to remember, Jesus was fully human, and we are fallen human. <laughs> Regarding Jesus' humanity, the correct question is, are we becoming as human as Jesus? That's the question, because Jesus shows us what it looks like to be human. And the good news is, Jesus gives us our humanity back. We were never meant to be defined by our sinful nature by our sinful desires. Rather, the fruit of the Spirit shows us what we were meant to be, love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. If hell is an everlasting movement away from God, heaven is an everlasting movement towards God. And for many of us, this movement towards God is happening in our lives right now. And heaven is a place where we are defined by the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now imagine, imagine a place like that. A place where everyone is defined by these things. It would be something new. It would be free from pain. Its value would be beyond measure. God's glory would shine everywhere. It would be vibrant and joyous. And it would be a cause for nonstop celebration, which is exactly the imagery the Bible gives us for heaven. Following Jesus in the here and now begins to bring heaven into our lives right now. It might just be a little taste of it, but we can begin to experience it right now. You know, the series before the Supernatural series, I don't know if any of you remember it, but it was Go Big or Go Home. Anyone remember that series, okay? Where we challenged ourselves to take big steps of faith, whether it's to share our secrets in an accountability sense, or waking up early to spend time with God, or to write a big check in the sense of investing in someone, or to downsize our life to make room for faith. If you haven't if you've forgotten about that challenge or never took up the challenge or weren't here for that challenge, I just want to remind you to reissue that challenge. If you haven't done one of those four things, do one because those are the kinds of things that develop the fruit of the Spirit in us. And the more the fruit of the Spirit grows in us, the more we get a taste of heaven.
Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and Jesus gives us our humanity back. He washes us clean from our sin. He brings light into our lives. He shows us the goodness of what God has for us. And following Jesus is the path to get there because Jesus is the way. Through repentance and faith and following, the light of Jesus reaches into our lives. It shines through for the whole world to see the glory of our great God who loves us, who wants to redeem us, to transform us into what he meant us to be in the first place and takes us on the path towards God. And that path ends in heaven. Please pray with me. And Lord, we thank you for what Jesus accomplished on the cross and his rising from the dead and how he paid our debt so that we could be redeemed, so that we could know what being human is actually like and so that we could get our humanity back. And Lord, I would ask that your spirit would show each and every one of us what that next step of faith in Jesus looks like for us so that we can get yet a greater taste of heaven. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.